This is David Nage with my co-host Amanda Frankel. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors learn about crypto. Welcome back to Baselayer. This is David. Today's show, we have Zaki Manian on with us today. Zaki is working on Tendermint and also Cosmos, two projects that we've spoken a lot about on the show recently. Cosmos specifically is working on issues regarding interoperability. And what that means in crypto is there are many different protocols right now, Bitcoin and Ethereum being the two prominent ones. And how do they actually talk to each other? How can you exchange value amongst the two different types of chains? One is proof of work and one is moving away from proof of work to proof of stake. How do you do that? So we talked about Cosmos. We also talked about his founding of SkewChain, which has been a project I've been watching also for a few years. That's more in the supply and logistics space. And that led us to a conversation about the legacy systems in finance. We talked a lot about the issues and how companies might have very sophisticated IT departments, but they still rely on legacy systems like fax machines. That could be a problem. This is a wide range of conversation. Zaki is really, really smart and he has seen so much in this space for a number of years. A phrase he said that I'm going to take for the rest of my life is that one year in crypto is 10 years in human life. So Zaki has been this at this for about six or seven years. So about 70 years of experience is coming right at you. Enjoy it. Remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice. Please do your own research. On the flip side, you'll hear from our sponsor and then you hear the show with Zaki. Enjoy. Today's family offices and hedge funds face a number of challenges when it comes to trading and managing their crypto portfolios. On the trading front, siloed liquidity, opaque execution, and questionable compliance deter entry. On the management front, spreadsheet and manual workflows are still the de facto solution. These infrastructure and usability problems, which have been long solved in traditional finance, still need to be addressed in crypto. Lumina has set out to solve these problems. Go to lumina.app to learn more. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Zachy with me. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. And so this is a special show because you are involved in a lot of different projects that I'm super interested in. I've been talking for months on the show about interoperability and there's a lot of things that as an investor, especially one that's starting to look into the world of digital assets and crypto and blockchain, whatever name you want to use this week. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening. Um, that are really important because you have lots of different protocols being built um, and they all need to talk to each other. And you're also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the co-founder of another project called SkewChain, which I've been watching for quite some time too because the supply and logistics space as it relates to blockchain is super interesting. And then you're also at Tendermint, which obviously is deeply related to the efforts at Cosmos. So you were a jack of all trades. There's a lot to, for us to learn from you today. So as we usually kick off with Base Layer, we'd love to get a few minutes just to hear about you, about how you got into the space, 
we're not going to do the origin story about when Bitcoin, but we want to usually focus on the why. What about the technology was so inspiring to you to really devote your professional career to it? So with that, the floor is yours. And then we're going to hit off into a lot of questions and learn a lot about the different projects you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my story is complicated and is long and I've been in the space for a long time, but I'll just kind of like give people a sense a little bit of my trajectory, which was um, I was a software engineer. I was working in the life science medical device space. So nothing distributed systems, nothing security, nothing cryptography. Uh, I've been doing that for about seven years. Um, when in 2012, I started to sort of have this suspicious, I'm like, you know, this incredibly insecure code that I write. Um, I think everyone writes this insecure code and this is what runs the entire world. And this is going to be a problem. Um, and so I started getting much more interested in security, cryptography, privacy, et cetera. Um, I started a civil liberties organization called Restore the Fourth in 2013. Um, and in the process of starting that, I met a bunch of people who were in the uh, cryptocurrency space and people who were in the uh, like private and secure messaging space, people who were working on the Signal project. Um, and one of my friends who, um, Matt Carello, who was working on the Signal project right now, he was like right out of high school. And I was like, so what is this Bitcoin thing that you do? And uh, can you explain more about it? Um, and so started doing that. Um, I met Jay Kwan, who's the founder of Tendermint um, in 2013. A mutual friend who I'd met through founding the Civil Liberties Organization introduced us. Um, and he started talking to me about like this like sort of immense, this vision that he, had, he, he was starting to put together of kind of what really truly became like all of the core pieces of uh, kind of the next generation of public blockchains. And, you know, he was really thinking about, you know, uh, what kind of public blockchain infrastructure would it take if we wanted to move the entire global economy to public blockchains? Um, what would it take? And he, that, that was kind of, you know, and he started working on sort of starting to, to he had been working, you know, at that moment on like what it would take and it, you know, at the time, it was like Bitcoin blocks weren't full. No one was really using public blockchains. Um, so I started SkewChain kind of around the idea that, um, you know, in my medical device startups, uh, uh, invoicing, logistics, all of this stuff had been uh, an enormous pain point. And I was like, there's clear, like I could see the, the link between blockchains um, and uh, uh, between blockchains and, and solving some of those problems. So I was doing an, was doing skew chain in 2014 was do was helping Jay with with you know hanging out with Jay I was friends with uh, Tom Ding and Dominic Williams from Definity um, been I've known Vitalik and Vlad since that time and been talking about Ethereum with them um, so I was I've just been part of the scene for a really long time um, and. You know, I uh, I helped. I so my contribution to Cosmos was primarily that Jay and Ethan came to me with an early version of the idea, and I basically shot down the early version of the idea. I was like, "This idea is flawed for X Y Z reasons. Why don't you go out and explore some of these other directions?" 
Um, and and that ended up being uh, and 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 sort of based off of that, they came back with what what turned into what has become the the, the Cosmos system. But um, around t- so 2015, 2016, while I was at Skew Chain, I learned an enormous amount about how the legacy financial infrastructure works because Skew Chain was like, okay, how can we like really get into the way uh, invoicing, factoring, invoice financing, supply chain financing really works. And supply chain financing is responsible for most of the world's uh, like payment volume uh, is uh, one of the largest sources of, uh, of, de- of capital inst- uh, like debt instruments. It's just like a huge part of the global economy. So I got really in deep in like how all of this stuff works. And in, by the time I got to 2017, I'm like, I was I was 100% convinced that basically what it was was I, we can upgrade the technology of the legacy financial infrastructure and get efficiency. But what the legacy financial infrastructure will never do is synthesize multiple components uh, uh, from like capital markets functionality to payments all into one system. Um, and that is fundamentally a thing that can only really be done in the public blockchain world. And I think that is ultimately the winning system. Um, and that is the most capital efficient system and that will win. And even if it's a longer, harder road to, to move the entire global economy to it, uh, I, I sort of became really committed to that, uh, that vision. Um, 2018 started working at Tendermint and was basically responsible for the launch of, of the Cosmos Hub blockchain, which successfully launched uh, in March of 2019. So a quick question. Um, there's going to be lots of questions, by the way, because you've been in this for so long and so deep. Um, comparably speaking, it's only been the last six or seven years. You know, I say yeah, so but, long. But every <laughs> year in blockchain is 10 years of real life. <laughs> So I, I I have been doing blockchains for fifty years. <laughs> it's it's not it's not a it's not it's not a falsehood. It's actually uh, you know I've been at this for three and some odd three and a half years, and I feel like it's uh, tacked on about thirty years. Um, but so you're talking about you know the the base premise of interoperability, interoperability and how things talk to each other and not talk to each other. So in the legacy system, from what you were able to see, where do a lot of the defaults happen? Where do things not talk to each other? We're in 2019 at this point in time. You would think that with technology, you know, being in our lives for the better part of the last two decades, that we would have been able to start getting better, you know, even using legacy systems. Where in the legacy systems are things breaking? And where can, you know, obviously, from your perspective, you know, building, you know, being part of Tendermint, Cosmos, Skewchain, you know, where, you know, where is that pain point in the legacy system you were kind of pointing on to? And, you know, how are things progressing on the public blockchain side to fix that? Okay, so my, I mean, so the, sort of the flippant version of the answer is that in every system that I got exposed to at SKU chain of, you know, legacy financial systems, how do, how do payments get processes? Um, how do instruments get issued? How does securitization occur? I was like, there's always like some step and you're like, at this step, we send a fax. And I'm like, and so like you have this incredibly, you know, sophisticated state of the art IT system 
that is some system of record either maintained by some consortium group of entities or in a specific bank. Uh, you know, state-of-the-art software engineering, everything is modern, you know, and then there's, and, and then at the interface points, things become incredibly primitive where like the state of the art is like, we, you know, use a bunch of, of, of cryptographic protocols from the 90s to authenticate data and put it on a server. And then periodically, you know, Wells Fargo goes and downloads everything's on that server and then verifies the signatures and then executes everything. Um, and the, what is, what is, what was fascinating to me is more or less the system still works, but there are always exceptional events that the system throws. Um, and those exceptional events are the vast and mo major overwhelming majority of the headcount at most of these institutions. It's the vast no uh, majority of their expenses. Um, it can tie up significant amounts of cash flow for weeks, days, or months. Um, and it is the thing that they have to build into the cost of every service um, that is part of the, of, of the financial industry, how to sort of uh, uh, bear the cost of these exceptional events. And what we are mostly trying to do when we talk about building blockchains is we are trying to make it so that these exceptional events become rarer and far more legible to computers and far more, um, autom like resolution is automated. Um, and we want to build systems in which people who are like, you know, all of these things in the bank, in the legacy financial system, don't even make the assumption that people are trying to defraud the system. They kind of operate on the basis of trust and everybody uh, is an honest actor. And that is not entirely true. And so we are trying to build these systems for public blockchains with the assumption that dishonest actors have access to the system, are interacting with the system, are gonna try to trigger any exception that you have in the system. Uh, for their own benefit, and then try to architect systems that are robust under those assumptions. Um, let me, and that that let me, world, if we can build it, is just so much better than the world that we live in today. Let me dig in there for a second. So we had the founders of IOTA on the other day, and so talking about how using the machines of today, um, everything obviously is a smart device, you know, I probably have three or four smart devices on my body at this point in time. Um, and, you know, my my new vacuum cleaner is a smart device, which I just use my phone for. Everything is obviously connected these days. And so it seems to me where there is human intervention or when there's humans that are kind of involved in the processes using legacy systems, that's when things break. Um, and so using machines, though, uh, obviously, potentially optimizes, but where I want to point is, and what I want your opinion on this, is that still today, you know, void of neural networks and void of machine learning capacities, most of the things that we're doing algorithmically and things that are, you know, kind of quote unquote AI are still being driven by humans. Is that not correct? Okay, so let, let me, uh, let's take a step back. The, the, all the things that excite me about blockchains are very human-centric things. Blockchains are 
automation on top, our, our, our automation for the parts of, of human uh, cooperation, uh, consensus alignment um, that are that humans are are find difficult, are is hard, is 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 good for uh, automation. Humans are also easily uh, uh, tricked, confused, etc. Whereas uh, cryptography can be made extremely reliable. So what we're trying to do is, you know. What we are trying to do is come to uh, is to build systems in which, you know, fundamentally there are a bunch of humans. The humans want to uh, trade with each other. They want to incentivize uh, long-term business arrangements with each other. They want to allocate risk. Um, they want so these are all things that humans have done for countless eons. Um, and what we are trying to do with blockchains is just ensure that the, the process by which everyone comes to agreement on what the current state of affairs is, is as automated as possible. So does that get us into a conversation about governance? Um, well, I think the first, the first thing to understand and like what I think is like fun about building public blockchains is the base layer is always social consensus. The base layer is fundamentally uh, a bunch of human beings voluntarily agreeing to participate in a system together and what the characteristics of that system are. Um, and governance is the process by which those characteristics of the system change over time. I agree. I think that's an interesting perspective. And obviously, we have to allow for changing an opinion because we're not robots. Um, and so delving into two of the projects that you're obviously involved in in some levels. So with Tendermint and Cosmos, for the listeners who are more in the kind of family office, high net worth, space who might not know what those projects are they've probably heard of bitcoin we've talked about this before in the show bitcoin has the the lindy effect in many ways so there's been a lot of press and there's been a lot of media about bitcoin and to some extent ethereum and so those have been the ones that get a lot of the headlines but other projects out there the definities of the world the zcashes of the world the Tendermans and Cosmoses of the world don't get as much in terms of the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Barron's, Forbes type of headlines, which which is unfortunate. Um, especially since Cosmos launched their mainnet a few, I think it's about a month or two ago. Um, so if I think we've been alive for about six weeks. There you go. So if you could, um, putting on your almost, I guess you can call it a professor hat because you know this world so well, and I'm sure you can break it down for us very easily. What, if you could, if you were talking to someone who was not that in tune with this world, what is Tendermint and what is Cosmos and what are they doing for the world of crypto? So, we, what, what we've, what, what we are trying to do is, I mean, so our, our, our goals are are no less than the re-architecting of the entire uh, blockchain ecosystem. Our, our, and 
so what is the blockchain ecosystem today and what are we trying to accomplish? So the first piece of, so the, the macro vision of, of Cosmos is a, is a vision of a world in which uh, there are many blockchains running many different protocols, um, cryptography, providing different useful features for, for everyone. But those blockchains are economically tied together. Um, but like, let's talk about like what this means practically. So, right now we see a world we see a world where every single time uh, some group of people come together and are like, okay, I think that they're there that I can improve on Bitcoin or Ethereum in X Y Z ways, or Bitcoin and Ethereum don't meet my needs for this project. So they launch this, this new blockchain project and you end up with a new currency, a new, uh, 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 a new currency, a new asset that everyone has to, that, that, that gets listed on exchanges, um, new technology for people to understand, figure out if it's secure, et cetera. Um, and what we sort of fundamentally felt at Cosmos is we were like, we expected, we sort of anticipated that this world of, of, of innovation in blockchain protocols was going to occur, that like people were going to get interested in, in writing public, in building public blockchains. We were going to see an explosion of new protocols. And what we fundamentally believe is that the, that we have this, uh, this protocol that we've been working on called IBC, Inter-Blockchain Communication. And it allows for uh, two or 10 or 10,000 or a million different blockchains to exchange economic value between them. So what that practically means is that, you know, you might hold, um, uh, you might hold Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain, but you were like, oh, you see this uh, uh, debt instrument that is available on, a, on an IBC specific on a, on, a, uh, on a blockchain that sees IBC, uh, sees, uh, that speaks IBC. So there's, you know, some securities issuer that's like, oh, here's a debt instrument, you know, it pays out, uh, you know, a coupon of 10% a year, and here you go. Uh, and we, we're ready, we're willing to uh, accept a Bitcoin uh, in exchange uh, for, as, uh, to purchase this instrument. Your, your Bitcoin can be um, manifest on Cosmos, um, on, in, into the Cosmos network of blockchains that speak IBC, um, and you can exchange one Bitcoin for this uh, uh, for this uh, debt instrument. Uh, Cosmos is fundamentally different from other uh, cross-blockchain technologies like atomic swaps, uh, etc., et um, because it's designed to allow the asset itself. And the uh, all of the properties of that asset it, it, to move between blockchains. So, when reviewing Cosmos and looking at some of the information on there on interoperability, and we're going to talk about Cosmos and then we're going to get on some of the questions there. But on interoperability, which we're kind of talking about right now, it stipulates that blockchain economies are siloed and cannot transfer assets between each other. So yes, I agree. And this, in, in my opinion, this so is the way I say this is right now is it's like if you want to 
uh, deploy new computer science into a blockchain, you must first invent money. Um, like you need to create some new asset that you're going to try to position to the market as a store of value medium of exchange on that thing because it's in an economic silo and you have to convince a sub substantial number of people to actually hold and use this asset in order to bring your technology to market. So my question is, is how difficult today versus in the future, how difficult is it to get different protocols and different chains to kind of talk to each other and work together? So obviously block, you know, with the Bitcoin blockchain, that's proof of work. With Ethereum, it's moving from proof of work to proof of stake, which is approximately taking two years on the beacon chain. So how difficult is it to have different chains that use these algorithms? How difficult is it to get them to work together? So the set of software that we've been building towards is sort of designed to be native to kind of the 2.0, you know, the, the Ethereum 2.0, the Polkadot, the Cosmos SDK, um, the uh, 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 Definity, et cetera, kind of uh, uh, technology stack of chains. Um, we also are building these things we call peg zones um, that are designed to interoperate with the legacy layer of, 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 of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, but the primary goal is to allow specialization between blockchains while allowing for economic exchanges. Some blockchains might be, uh, are going to be good at high throughput. Some blockchains are going to be good at uh, privacy and security. Some blockchains are going to be good uh, at meeting the needs of enterprises. Um, some blockchains are going to be really good at uh, sort of the more cypherpunk, um, you know, unconfiscatable money things. And we want all and we want people instead of having to say, oh, I hold I hold some of my money on the on the unconfiscatable cypherpunk blockchain. I still hold some of my money on the on the uh, 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 on the enterprise friendly blockchain. And when I want to I have to sell my cypherpunk money to buy more enterprise money because I want to do uh, uh, I want to buy some cloud computing resources. Um, we want people to be able to say, OK, I have money. Like there is some, whether it's going to be Bitcoin, whether it's going to be Ether, when it's going to, whether or not it's going to be something new. And I take my money to the enterprise blockchain and I buy my cloud computing resources. When I need, when I want to store some of that money privately, I take that money to the, uh, uh, to the uh, private uh, uh, value transfer and storage blockchain. And I move my money there and I hold it there. And it's always my, it's, it's just the money that I feel most comfortable with. It is the asset that I uh, prefer to hold. And so what's the methodology there do where people need to, you know, what was like using just the basis of very kind of early stages of the D5 movement. If I use something like MetaMask when I have Ethereum and I want to set up a loan on Dharma or BlockFi or Compound, it's moving keys. It's 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 obviously for people that have been doing this for a while. This is you know kind of easy peasy, and it's nothing that difficult. But for someone who would be more novice to this, 
where do you think we are now and how where do you see it kind of evolving in the next five to ten years does it is it going to be a point where it's going to be so frictionless where you're not even going to know that you're basically using a blockchain kind of platform oh of i i, th- I think i think of course um i think this will eventually be an utterly frictionless experience um you know for the vast and overwhelming majority of your of your you know we're, and we're already seeing the pieces of this starting to pull together. I think, you know, for for the kinds of, of people who, you know, are from like the high net worth family and office world, you know, event, you know, their portal to this world is going to be a custodian, like what Coinbase is building with cust- Coinbase Custody or um, or or Fidelity is building with their custodian. Um, you know, we expect I expect this to be a, 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 the primary entry point for most people and you know, they'll just go to their custodian's website and be like, oh, um, you know, I would like to, you know, I see this opportunity to, uh, to, to stake this, stake these coins here. Oh, I'd like to hold this asset because I'd like to participate in its governance process. The governance process is just part of the user interface of the custodian. Um, that's the world that we're all sort of moving towards. Uh, it's, it is certainly a long road. Um, involving building lots and lots of different pieces of technology together. Um, you know, I, I, I think the I think the biggest challenge that Ethereum is the Ethereum ecosystem faces is how much of their current user interface, developer tooling, all of that stuff, are they going to be able to keep with them as they move to a more scalable architecture? Um, and it's very unclear what the answer is there. Um, and Cosmos is trying to, um, is certainly one of our goals is, is, to, uh, is to create a, a systems architecture that will last uh, and enable uh, people to very happily use uh, all of these systems that are, are, are coming out of this technology for, for many years. So again, on Cosmos, when reviewing some of the materials that have been published, it stipulates that proof-of-work protocols are slow, expensive, unscalable, and environmentally harmful. Tendermint is a secure BFT consensus protocol that powers Cosmos's bonded proof-of-stake. So I'd love for you to kind of delve into this because, again, the media has been harping on this environmentally harmful narrative for a while about Bitcoin, about Bitcoin mining. Talk to us about this. What are your opinions on that? Okay, so here's what I would say is 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 the is the principle like what was the amazing virtue of proof of work was that in every so there has been this there was this whole world of of, of computer science that was extremely academic about how do you get computers. Uh, uh, to agree with each other in under in adversarial networks, um, and this is what we call BFT, uh, Byzantine Fault Tolerant Consensus. And one of the sort of built-in assumptions is that you know that the computers would have to, that would agree with each other would come from this list. Uh, you, you would store this list. You'd be like each computer has a public key, and they saw, they they sign their messages, and that's how we come to agreement. And what was really cool about proof of work was that proof of work enabled computers that uh, 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 or, or participants in the system not to have to pre-register their public keys 
they would be able to, um, they would be able to, instead of uh, 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 pre-registering their public keys, you just, you know, start mining. If you find a solution, you get to be part of the, you know, you start mining, you're part of the consensus. It's great. Uh, total open entry system. Um, and this was an incredibly powerful process for bootstrapping um, these systems, uh, uh, these, you know, global public consensus ledgers. Right. The, ch the challenges of them is that there, there are, a, so there are two things. One is um, you have this like sort of never ending race um, driven by the economic incentive mechanism that constantly increases the uh, amount of energy that must be consumed to secure the network. Um, and that, that value, that number constantly goes up as the network goes, becomes valuable. Uh, and that leads to substantial societal harms. People disagree on how large that harm is, but I don't think anybody should argue that like the harm is zero. So what Jay, Jay Kwan did back in 2014 was he, he started asking the question is, could I take the, 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 the prior 40 years of Byzantine fault tolerant academic con consensus literature and some of these observations that we've seen about that, like of how Bitcoin, like what have we learned that's new about Bit given Bitcoin? Um, that, you know, that these kind that an open entry system is valuable. Um, but we've also, you know, it was also clear by 2013, 2014, that mining was a thing that was going to be confined to specialized industrial uh, entities. Uh, it was not going to be a, a democratic system. And it wasn't really clear that, you know, the, the, the true democratized open entry nature of it was not uh, uh, a long-term economic reality. So he started, so he first went through, he read all of, he like sat down, he basically sat in his room and read, you know, all of these years of computer science research. And, um, you know, being the great software engineer that he is, sort of found an in, like took a bunch of things that were academically interesting were, were not practical to build real systems with um and turned them into a very elegant protocol called tendermint um and tendermint was you know probably was not that exciting to uh, uh, from a you know it wasn't going to get you a computer science phd um maybe in 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 hindsight we we, we have gotten many academic papers published about it um, but it was certainly the most practical system from an engineering point of view. And then he started implementing it. Um, and it's basically been a, 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 about a, a four-year journey to the fact to, to mature this research-inspired design into something that could operate in similar circumstances to Ethereum and Bitcoin, which is public on the internet, strangers can join the network, um, and now we have we we have in the past run networks with uh, uh, up to 250 validators. We are currently running the Cosmos Hub um, with hundreds of millions of dollars val of value riding on it, with a network of 100 validators. Um, you know, uh, and and it, this all turns out to uh, to work, which has been you know incredibly satisfying, but like was certainly not a sure thing when we started all. And so on Tendermint, you know, one of the things I saw you guys were talking about on the site. So 
interviewed it. Since then, Tendermint has evolved to be a general purpose blockchain consensus engine that can host arbitrary application states. That means it can be used as a plug and play replacement for the consensus engines of other blockchain software. So one can take the current Ethereum code base, whether in Rust or Go or Haskell, and run it on an ABCI application using Tendermint consensus. Indeed, we did that with Ethereum, as we plan to do the same for Bitcoin, Zcash, and other various deterministic applications as well. So what's the status of that? So you guys obviously said you did it for Ethereum, and you guys are looking at it for Bitcoin, Zcash, and some other ones. Where are you with that right now? So what I would say is, so our experience, so, you know, in, you know, the first version of the SKU chain software that I built was, um, was a fork of Bitcoin. Um, and pretty much everybody who's a sort of in the core dev team has probably built an, a Bitcoin fork, built an Ethereum fork, um, at some point in our careers, probably multiple times. And what we found is that in general, well, neither, none of these things are designed to be modular. They're not easily designed to easily adapt and change. Um, they're kind of hairy, messy code bases that sort of organically grew over time. Um, and so we started building um, this, this platform called the Cosmos SDK which is uh, a modular uh, 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 ecosystem of components that can interoperate with each other. So we've built modules like uh, a token module, a proof of stake module, a governance module. Um, we are building modules like um, you know, non-fungible tokens, think your crypto kitties or your video game assets. We're building modules like uh, uh, privacy. We're building modules like an Ethereum virtual machine. Uh, uh, implementation in the broader ecosystem of people who use Tendermint, we see basically we're seeing like a bunch of different things. So one is we see users of Tendermint that basically take existing cryptocurrency systems, adapt them for the Tendermint interface, um, and and launch these things, um, sort of inspired by our original Ethermint work. We see people who are building sort of alternative. Uh, software development kits to ours on top of Tendermint. Um, and we certainly don't think ours is the only answer um, uh, for how you should develop blockchains. And then we have really seen in the last, you know, in the last week, we've seen the launch of two public blockchains uh, built on top of our modular software development kit. One is the is the Binance decentralized exchange chain, and another one is the is the Terra blockchain. Uh, which is a, a Korean-based uh, stablecoin. And so we are seeing like kind of all possible use cases for the technology we built sort of playing out in real time, and it's extremely gratifying, and um, it's, it's a nice uh, outcome from you know, all of these years of work that we put into sort of building the infrastructural place for the in infrastructural pieces for where we thought the whole blockchain space needed to go. So one of the things that we usually ask guests on the show, and I'd love to get your opinion, is that, you know, we kind of talked about this already, but, you know, it's, it's a different frame. So if you were to put your hat on and you said that one year in crypto is 10 years, so I'm going to ask you five years out, which effectively is 50 years in your opinion, 
if you were to look five years out now, we've had crypto winter for the last you know year, which seems to be mitigating. <coughs> we seem to be getting out of that. Um, it's my opinion that 2019 is the year of build and 2020 is the year of awakening. Um, and so in five years, using things like Cosmos, what type of platforms do you think, you know, everyone two years ago said, oh, there's going to be a crypto version of Facebook. Oh, there's going to be a crypto version of Twitter. Oh, there's going to be a crypto version of Instagram. Do you really see that as the future? Do we need to do that? Do we need to replicate these systems or do we create better systems? Where do you think this all goes in five years? We, as a, as a, as a Cosmos community, have a very distinct vision of what we're trying to do, which is we think that um, Cosmos, the co like Tendermint, Cosmos, the Cosmos SDK, that this is not merely infrastructure for solving uh, a, a technological problem. In fact, it isn't. It is. It, it is a narrow set of technology problems that it solves, but it is a broad set of social problems that it solves. And so, I would like to live in a world where, and I think we can get. To, we will get to a world where, rather than people spinning up new companies, rather than people funding new ventures. Um, through issuing stock, um, you know, Cosmos blockchain technology becomes the new, uh, or, or like the kinds of systems that we've laid the groundwork for become the new sort of in, uh, uh, incentivization infrastructure. You know, we've always been really passionate about this sort of staking and slashing um, component of, of the Cosmos technology stack, where, you know, if you uh, are cooperating with the system, and this is like one of the real challenges of proof of stake versus proof of work. Um, in proof of work, the rewards of the system are are in the in the in the software that you wrote, but the punishments are largely you know out in the real world. Uh, you know, you you're elect you spent thousands of millions of dollars on electricity and you didn't get any profit, shit. Um, and that that's your loss. In proof of stake, we must we have to incorporate both the reward and the punishment. Um, into the same system, which is was basically what we spent almost all of 2018 building the MVP out of it. But if you can have these sort of internalized rewards and punishments um, in the system, and you know, if you know, I run a validator in, in on the Cosmos Hub. You know, if uh, uh, if that validator, uh, if there's a security breach in that validator, et cetera. I could lose, you know, me and my the people who delegated to me could lose millions of dollars of uh, 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 value um, in the system. The punishments are very intense, and and this 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 process of internalized reward and punishment, we hope will enable uh, people to cooperate and build things together. So it may not be that Facebook runs on a blockchain, but it may be that something that uh, that that people create new things that run on blockchains that serve the similar needs of people to to congregate, to communicate, to align their you know political and other preferences, to agree, to disagree, to debate. Um, those things will be built out of blockchains and cosmos-based technologies, and that would be our hope for the system. So the real so the real social network. Um, I like it because like I mean this is the point. The point is the point is not like. What Facebook is, is there's a fundamental human need 
which is, you know, to socialize, to socialize, to like, to interact with each other on a global scale, to, to maintain ties with people, um, to gossip, et cetera. Um, those are fundamental human needs to, you know, and to trade with each other. Um, and those are fundamental human needs. And Facebook has provided on a platform for doing it, a platform that comes with lots of downsides. Um, and so hopefully what, you know, what these technologies will enable, and I fundamentally believe that if you aren't building like a big part of, you know, the Facebook and Amazon, et cetera, dominance comes from how they interact with capital markets. If you aren't building first financial technology, you don't actually, aren't actually going to, 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 to create a, path, a meaningful path to change. So, so that was kind of why we wanted to, we wanted to start at this, this, why I think starting at this intersection of finance and technology is the most important place to operate. It's really interesting that we're talking about this now because there was an article that came out on Coindesk, I think it was last night or today, rating agency Moody's has issued a warning against private centralized blockchains. In their report, it's, a, it's titled, Blockchain Improves Operational Efficiency for Securitizations Amid New Risks. It says, private centralized blockchains are more exposed to fraud risk because system design and administration remains concentrated with only with one or few parties. However, um, they note that a, a private blockchain for governance purposes seems to be uh, a bit better versus a public blockchain. So it's 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 interesting that we're talking about this now amid that report. Um, and so I, I kind of have a, a sense of where you're going with, with the answer to this, but with JPM coin, with Facebook coin, with what happened with Samsung announcing last week, do you think from your purview, from what you've seen for the last few years, are we having that kind of 2015 moment where private blockchains are the new hype? Um, is it is it necessary? Is it kind of baby steps before we get to public blockchains? What do you think? So Cosmos, I think the whole point of Cosmos was, is is a little bit to start to carve out <clears throat> a little bit more space um, between public and private blockchains um, as they've currently existed. Um, the challenge with public blockchains, you know, of sort of the mainline public blockchains of like Bitcoin and Ethereum has been that there are tens of thousands of people who have, uh, uh, who are stakeholders in the system, um, who own coins, who built businesses on this and every single potential change to the system as, you know, going back to what we were originally talking about, uh, involves aligning all of these parties. So when we're, we're uh, so governance is incredibly difficult in that environment. Um, so people are like, okay, you know what is going to be easier? A private blockchain um, where there's a small number of parties. We can all get together around a conference table uh, and come to an agreement. And what we've been trying to do inside Cosmos is, is sketch out a bit of a, of a, of a, of a space between that. So we're doing this, you know, the Cosmos Hub launched with uh, a minimal set of governance features, basically the ability of, of the, uh, uh, to, to for, for participants in the system to just signal their consent or uh, rejection of, of, of changes. And we, we used that process. One of, the, one of the things that we did that um, 
I'm really proud of is we launched the network completely decentralized. Um, there was no foundation. There was no company that like started out with a centralized network and then decentralized it later. From day one, the people who contributed to the Cosmos fundraiser back in 2017 were the people who, who operated the network. Um, and we, because we did that, we launched the network without the ability to transfer any of the tokens that the network was launching with. And so this created the need to use the governance features for everyone to come to alignment on how it was and under what conditions we were going to upgrade the network to, 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 to add new features and to enable token transfers on the network, which we, which we finally did last week. Um, and that was an incredibly valuable process. And I think, you know, again, kind of like, you know, these are the kinds of, you know, this is what I've been, you know, this is, this is why I worked on this project was I wanted to run these experiments. And I think these experiments are turning out pretty, pretty in an encouraging way. And I'm certainly don't think that, you know, one blockchain and one blockchain governance can meet the needs of any situation and every problem, which is why we believe in this connected network of blockchains, because every blockchain is should represent is going to end up representing a particular set of preferences. Um, people are going to prefer one system or another, but that doesn't mean that they should, you know, become economically separated from each other. I agree, and it's, I almost <laughs> not to make it a layman's case, but here, but you know, there are people who live and die by their Apple phone, their iOS, and there are people who live and die by Android. I would love to be able to continue using iOS, especially if they can start making better improvements because they haven't really done that in the last few years, <clears throat> Tim Cook. Um, you know, but it's, you know, I would love to be able to continue using that, but I'm sure there are things that are possibly more native to Samsung, and especially now that Samsung has put in a wallet into their new phones, you know, I think, you know, things like that. I agree. I think, you know, we shouldn't have to be constrained by, you know, one platform, one kind of hardware piece and not be able to use this whole universe that's being created. I completely agree with that. And so getting to the top of the hour with you and I can keep talking to you forever because you're so knowledgeable about this space and I hope to have you on again. One of the, the two things that we like to do to get to know our guests a little bit more on a personal side is, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again, there are usually kind of two inputs that we put into our brain on a day-to-day -day basis. It's what you're reading um, in terms of books. Um, I try to read as much as possible. There are people who have been on the show that are trying to do 50 books a year. I, I bless them because that's very hard. Um, but, you know, what books have you read recently that have really left a mark on you and why? It can be crypto-related or not. And then in terms of music, you know, I think music also tells us a lot about a person's personality, you know, what, uh, what drives them, what gets them inspired. So if you could, getting to know you a little bit better, what books have you read and what music are you listening to? So books are tough. I don't really read that many books these days. Um, I'm mostly uh, like, you know, I'm uh, so I'm a pretty technical person. Um, I, I definitely uh, write and touch code on, a, on at least a couple of times a week, um, even though sort of most of my job is just sort of executive function. Um, and I so I kind of like, 
you know, the t I think the time when other people are reading uh, are reading books, I'm reading programming forums and computer science and cryptography papers. Um, and, uh, and, and that's kind of my world. Um, and so, yeah, I could probably rattle off a bunch of, of cryptography papers that I've read in the last a, a couple of weeks, but I don't remember the last time I read an entire book. Um, oh. Like there's, there's a couple, there's like the occasional fiction series that I'm, I, I'm like addicted to, but like, don't, but like beyond that, I don't really read books. And in terms of music? In terms of music, let me open up my playlist and see what, what, the, what the recent additions are. Can you um, with that ain't that like a played. Let's see. And just as an FYI, we've had people like Jeremy from Casa saying he likes death metal. We've had people talking about electronica. We've had people talking about classical music. Very interesting folks in the crypto having a wide spectrum of musical uh, kind of um, audience. And so I don't think anything can really surprise me anymore after Jeremy's death metal type of uh, comment. I think that was pretty special. Um. I've been so the last three things I uh, a added to my playlist was uh, Jadena's Long Live the Chief, Blackway's What's Up Danger, and the X's 20,000. Uh, so, yeah, I have a fairly eclectic taste in music. Uh, I happily, I like really enjoy the symphony, I enjoy hip hop, uh, I enjoy like electronica. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely something that, uh, you know, definitely like add things to my play, you know, definitely add things to my playlist on a fairly regular basis. So a smorgasbord, if you will, of music. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a smorgasbord of music persons, though I would not say death metal is one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> and so kind of the last bits, you know, if people want to find out more about you, more about the projects you're involved in, you know, here's a few a minute or two, you can go and tell people where to go if they want to find you on Twitter or other social media aspects or obviously websites, you know, let her rip here. Um. So probably the best place to follow me is my Twitter, uh, at Z-M-A-N-I-A-N on Twitter. Um, I probably should update my website, um, uh, Zucky, first name, dot last name, dot O-R-G. Uh, should, should hopefully get an update to that out soon. I've given so many talks in the last, uh, in the last few months that I'm trying to like get them all condensed into like one place. Uh, I'm really like the the talk I'm most proud of is probably my MIT Bitcoin Expo talk. Um, I heard which great, was, uh, which was like my victory lap on kind of like my approach to, to how do you of how to build like next gen public infrastructure on blockchains. Well, I think we'll have to have you on because I, I heard a lot of great things about that specific speech and I want to hear more about what you spoke about. So we'll have you on again. Yeah, this no, this was great. Thank you. And uh, again, definitely reach out. This is, you know, Cosmos and Tendermint are key pieces of infrastructure. I've spoken about Cosmos probably 30 odd times on the show alone. So it's definitely something that you guys should check out. And uh, we'll be having you back on again. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, you can find out more about Cosmos at cosmos.network. Awesome.
is the is the sort of entry point. We you know it's I ju- it's a, it's funny but true that like so it was you know th- roughly three years since the original Cosmos idea was conceived that we finally got an explanation on the website that was like approachable <laughs> of 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 what it is exactly that we were building. <laughs> well, again, everyone should check it out and reach out to Zaki. So thank you for joining us and we'll be talking to you soon. Take care. This layer, this layer, this layer.